We are in Colossians. Uh, we are finishing up today. I'm the, um, what do you call it? The uh, sweep, uh, the batter. What, what's a, what's a, what do they call the guy that ends the game? The cleanup. That's the guy, the closer? The closer, right? I don't know anything about baseball. I know other sports, but nothing about baseball. Anyway, any rate, so I'm the closer. Um, and it's really interesting because when Paul finishes some of his letters, particularly Romans and here, he will give a list of names of people and sometimes make a little statement, but you kind of got to wonder, of all the things that God could have closed with, why just a list of unpronounceable Greek and Jewish names that we're never going to remember? Well, we're going to find out why today, why this is such an important part of his letter. So we're going to dive into that in just a moment. I'm going to read the entire text and read all the names, all the people. We're going to read from 7 all the way down to 18. But before, before we do that, I, when, I, when I read it, again, I want you to step into the story that I often say, because remember, Paul is in prison, and he finishes by saying, remember my chains. And you still have to wonder, when you step into his story, how can somebody be in prison writing to the outside words of encouragement like he does at, at Philippi, and statements here, also receiving comfort and encouragement. It's a two-way street. So let's dive in. We're going to look at verse 7. Last week, we, we talked a little bit about being devoted to prayer and how to reach outsiders. The entire book has an awful lot of theology in it, uh, covering problems that the church was having, Paul thinking they might be going astray in some areas, so there's some corrections to be made. Verse 7 and following, we read this. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Justice is also called, or Jesus is also called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ, Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. Verse 13. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see to it that you also read uh, the church of the Laodiceans, the letter that has been written from Laodicea. Verse 17, tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the work you have received of the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Let's pray. Father, there's a lot to cover here today, and I just pray that your spirit would do a mighty work in opening up the hearts of all of us, that we receive much of these great truths that are here before us and change our lives. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Well, I want to welcome you that are here and also those of you that are walk, watching online and particularly anyone who would not necessarily consider yourselves to be in the kingdom as it is mentioned here and maybe before today is over you will be. I think you'll get some fresh insights as to some of the things that, that we believe and why we believe them, which are actually wrapped up in a unique way here if you dig into the, into the text a little bit. Um, I've said this from time to time, and I said it last week. I said every once in a while, I think it's important for a pastor to sort of uh, talk to his people about what we actually go through at times. Like I mentioned last week about the joy of preparing messages, because when I have a chance to prepare a message, I have to spend a lot of time pouring over that particular text. And the more time you pour over that particular text, the more things you see. And I take little notes and I take walks and so on and I write things down. And though I, I thoroughly enjoy that part of ministry, there's another part that's a little difficult and that is this. Every single pastor at least should desire to stand in the pulpit and raise the bar, raising the spiritual bar of not only his people that he's responsible for, but for himself, all right? This is why I tell young pastors, don't say, you need to read the more, word more, or you need, we need to, all right? We're all in this thing together. But there are feelings that a pastor can have of hypocrisy when he drives away and says, I don't think I'm living up to what I just taught, all right? I'm trying to raise the bar, but I'm not sure I'm actually living up to what I just taught about this subject matter. So I don't think that my job or my calling is to sell you on something. My calling is to exhort. My calling is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. If you want to know what my job is, it's to equip you to do the work of the ministry. That means I don't have to do any work. You do all that work. No, that's not what it means. It means I do it as well as you, but I'm to equip you to do that, that particular work. Chuck Swindoll once said, as many of you famous pastor who is still preaching at the age of 86, by the way, uh, uh, Swindoll would say, he would say his job is not to try to convince anybody, just teach the word and let that take place. And I agree with that. But Paul also in the book of Acts, it says, he reasoned with them out of the scriptures. So there is a reasoning that is taking place, whether you're talking to unbelievers or believers. There's also an exhorting. It talks about how the word of God is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It talks about how, how the word of God exhorts and it brings forth sound doctrine. So all these things are included in the preaching. But again, as you step into my world, there are there's a sense in, am I trying to sell somebody on something? I used to be in sales many, many years ago, and I went through all the sales training, and it was in the world of life insurance. And I'll tell you why they pay you big bucks to sell somebody, because it is hard. They're not, nobody's coming in to buy a car or a suit that they want. You're trying to even get into their house to talk to them about death. Doesn't go over real well. It's really hard, and you have to learn all the objections. You have to learn how to handle all the objections, and if you don't leave with that policy signed, you have lost the sale. You got to get it that night, because if they say, let me think about it, let me talk to my wife, uh, mm -mm -mm -mm. you got to get it then, now, all right? 
So I sometimes think of my life prior in, in that arena of trying to close people. And then I look at Scripture and I think, I don't need to make the close. I need to give the truth out. I need to pull the pin, as I've said, on the gospel grenade and just throw it. And it does its work, all right? So my objective today is to walk you through a series of names. Some of these people um, we'll spend a little bit more time on, as Paul may say a little bit more about some than others. But I think the importance here is to realize there is a, a team of people, a very strong team of people in the Mediterranean rim that are planting churches and great things are happening and the word is spreading rapidly. And Paul is encouraging them and being encouraged while he's in prison. And the gospel is going out. And I, I think of these people as spiritual soldiers. I think of these people as those that came before us because from time to time you'll read in America about the great generation. And that's the generation prior to my generation, my father's generation, people that fought in World War I, World War II. We think of that as the great generation. And we think of them that way because had we not had those types of people out there, we wouldn't be living in the liberty that we have right now, all right? So we, we thank those people. We think of Veterans Day or Memorial Day. We thank these people of the past. Well, these are people, this list right here, if these people did not do what they did, we would not be here right now. So step into the story. These are the ones that carried the gospel that eventually went down generation after generation for 2,000 years, reached our ears. We heard the message, believed, and passed from death unto life. So this is an important list, and I'll walk you through it here. So these are the spiritual soldiers, and I'm, I'm entitling this message, Raising the Spiritual Bar, or Raising the Bar, and it's for all of us. So first person we meet is Tychicus. You probably don't know anybody by that name, but it says this. Tychicus, in verse 7, will tell you all the news about me. Listen to the things that are said about him. He is a dear brother. He's a dear brother. All right, we pause right there. Meaning that he is in the kingdom. He is a dear brother to all other people that are in the kingdom. This is his relationship to the body of Christ. He's a dear brother. He is a faithful minister, and not a professional minister, and that's simply somebody who's carrying out the word. He is a faithful minister. This is his relationship to Jesus. He's on the team of Jesus carrying the gospel out, all right? So we have his relationship to the full body. We have his relationship to Jesus, and then, and a fellow servant in the Lord. And now it's his relationship to Paul. It goes from everyone that's in the body to being a co-laborer with Jesus in the gospel to Paul's relationship to him. And I looked at that and I thought, that, that's a, a three-tier soldier. This is a person that Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, is able to write this about this person. And when you're preparing a message, you have to pause and say, would somebody say that about me? Would they say that about you? Would they talk to us? Would somebody write a letter about us? 
and talk about our relationship being a dear brother or sister to the body ministering with Jesus and a fellow servant with you. And here Paul just breaks this whole thing down into three parts of just this one person. But it's a type of thing where, oh, we're getting, we're getting near the end of Colossians. Just race through these people. But every line here is important regarding these different people. The issue here is we need to be that person. He's not a fellow servant. He's a fellow bond servant. Uh, Jim Supp covered this issue of being a bond slave. He's a bond servant uh, to Jesus Christ. So we find that he's a servant with Paul in this. We need to be this type of person and we need this type of person in our lives. And you don't find too many of those people. But this is what we're called to. These are not super saints. These are people that have believed the gospel, have taken it seriously, and this is what Paul writes about their lives. So let's take a look. Verse, verse um, 8. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances, and then he may encourage your hearts. So he's going he's to encourage their hearts. That's that word of encouragement here. Verse 9. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening to us. Now, Jim again covered Onesimus. He was a runaway slave from Philemon, came back. That's a whole story in his life. But now Paul says he, he's one of you. He's a member of the church. He's part of, of that body, but he's a slave. So we have free and slave. This is why it says that in the gospel, in Christ, there's no bond or free, no male nor female. We're all one in Christ. And so just a quick, short little statement about him. But then there's a beautiful statement about Mark. In verse 10, My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, who's a prisoner with Paul, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the, co the, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. All right? Let's talk for a moment. Aristarchus is fellow prisoner with Paul. Mark was on a missionary journey with Paul and Barnabas and Silas back in the book of Acts. And something happens. And I, I have to tell you, I don't think we know all the facts. All we know is that John Mark bailed previously. And as they're getting ready to take their second missionary journey, Paul says, I don't want him. And Barnabas says, yeah, we need to take him. And it says there's no small clash between the two. It's kind of good to see that godly people have clashes. It makes me feel good, you know, when I see these high-level people because it shows they've got flesh too, all right? And so they have this clash, and Barnabas and Mark leave, and Paul and Silas go in a separate place. But he's now mentioned here. And in 2 Timothy, Paul says, bring Mark He's profitable for me in the ministry. And the beauty of getting this story, the in-between stories of him leaving, and then getting a story that he's come back, says that God is a God of second chances. How many times have we blown it, so to speak, in thinking God could never again 
use me in ministry or I, I've, I've blown it. No, no. And whatever happened here, it was big, all right? And here God goes out of his way in just a list of names to mention him and, and to let you know he's, he's okay now. He's okay. But we're going to see something about somebody else here that's okay here, but not okay later. But we'll get to that in just a minute. Then we look at verse 11, and it says this, Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. So now we have this Justice, who is a, one of the, these workers here that's helped out. He real small statements, talks about being comforted by these people. But now we're, we get to the meat of the issue of this whole thing. Let me tell you what that is. You see the expression where it says, these are the only Jews among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. And they've proved to be a comfort to me. The kingdom of God. If I have any regrets in my years of preaching of things that I, subjects I didn't cover, things I'd like to have covered, I've never done a series of messages on the kingdom. It's a complex subject, extremely complex. And maybe that's why I've avoided it. But it's an, it's an important subject and I have more opportunities to preach. Perhaps I'll, I'll do a series on the kingdom. But if you look at it, Paul is talking here about this, this kingdom. Where does that kingdom even first mentioned? It's all the way back in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, where Adam and Eve were to reign over, to rule. They were like kings over a kingdom. There was an ultimate king, but of course they failed. And then there were different kings, but it shows that there are kingdoms there's the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light, even found in Colossians where it says, when a person believes they're taken out of the kingdom of darkness and placed into the kingdom of God's dear son, into the kingdom of light. And I'll tell you why this is so, so important. Because Paul, it, it answers the question. It answers a couple of big questions. It answers the question, how can somebody be in prison? Remember my chains how can they be in chains and writing to comfort and encourage people on the outside and be encouraged and comforted on the inside how do you do that how do you live this way how do you learn to die so that you might live how do you learn to lose your life so that you can find it how do you learn to serve so that you can lead? How do you learn to humble yourself so that you can be exalted? How do you learn to give so that you might get? How do you learn to love your enemy rather than hate them? How do you do that? It's, it makes no sense unless you're in the kingdom of God. Unless you're in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, and this is the complexity of it, Jesus says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus spoke more about the kingdom than any other subject. It's mentioned over and over, it's like 50 sometimes in the gospel of Matthew alone. The kingdom, the kingdom. Jesus said very little about 
What happens to you when you die? Oh, you go to heaven. Well, actually, heaven comes here. But that's another subject. Okay? So here, Jesus is, is pushing this kingdom. And Paul, at the very end of the book of Acts, the 28th chapter, the last verse, it says, Paul is in his own rented house, welcoming everyone in so that he could preach to them about the kingdom of God. Paul realizes, as theologians often say, already but not yet. The kingdom is here, but not in its, full, its fullest sense. There's still jockeying and struggles and sin and everything else. Sort of a, you see these sort of two kingdoms at war here. And we kind of live in both in some respects. We've been taken out of the kingdom of darkness, but we still have to live around it. All right? And so the kingdom is here. And Paul is finding his strength. He's finding this power. He's finding all of this based on this. And so as he's giving you a list of all these people here, these people are living out a kingdom life in a dark world. And that's where it's coming from. I, um, I know a lot of you are probably familiar with uh, a man by the name of Tim Keller. Tim Keller has a, been a pastor for a long time up in New York, <coughs> since stepped down for that to do church planting and do a lot of writing. And about six or eight months ago, he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And some of you may have been following some, but he, he's, he wrote an incredible article in The Atlantic, and I think he's just finished a big book on suffering and that sort of thing. And that's a pretty serious cancer, you know, uh, pancreatic cancer. And something that Tim said, and, and it's just so Tim Keller, you talk about a tagline. Boy, I wish I had come up with this. Maybe I shouldn't have told you Tim got it, and I just told you. At any rate, here's, here's what Tim Keller said. The more that we try and make the world our heaven, the less we will enjoy the world. Follow that? The more we try to fix this place, the new house, the new car, the new this, the new that, the more we try to look for heaven here, the more we miss the world here. And he discovered this because he knows he's been given a, you know, a pretty short runway now, the best that he knows. And so he says when he and his wife Kathy take a walk, he says he notices every leaf on every tree, every duck in every pond, every ripple in every brook. You don't miss it. You don't miss it. Because now, now he's no longer trying to make life better, fix everything, get more stuff, and that's sort of not that he ever necessarily went that way, but, but those things don't mean anything to him. And now he's enjoying the world far more than he ever had. That's a great line. That is a great, great line. And we all know that you're never going to see a U-Haul it in the back of a hearse. You don't take it with you. Paul says, ain't going nowhere, all right? And so... When you, when you develop a kingdom mindset, which is an eternal mindset, you see everything around you differently. Suffering, difficulties, problems, everything is just different. And I'm convinced that Paul, as he, in just under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, as he's going through this list, right here in the center, these are the ones who are the workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Then he jumps down to Epaphras, verse 12. Epaphras, 
who is one of you and a servant of Jesus Christ, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. Then it goes on, it says, I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Here's the thing about Epaphras. It says that he, he is wrestling. There's a passage in Romans, I think it's 15, where it talks about striving in prayer. Now, why does he, why does he pick him out and say this is a man you know, who, who wrestles in prayer? Did the others wrestle in prayer? Probably not as much as he did. Because you can't be a prayer warrior and, and, and a missionary and a this and a that and an evangelist. And a, you, some people are just prayer warriors. All of us should pray. But I'm not sure that, that too many people are going to be like this man. He wrestled in prayer. And the interesting thing that I take from this is that wrestling in prayer must do something or Paul wouldn't have included it. I don't think that it means that he twisted God's arm to do things. I think he just goes to the mat. And who does he go to the mat for? He goes to the mat for these other Christians that they might discover the will of God, that they will stay the course in life. Why would it even be included if that didn't count? It does count. I have people in the Amazon that pray for me every single day. Every day. Groups of people that pray for Reston Bible Church every single day. And some of them pray for hours in a day. They're the prayer warriors. Not everybody does that, but they do. All right? And so when we see this, it's this, it's this, this idea of, of just wrestling, of going to the mat. It, there, there's something really intense. And he's praying for their spiritual growth and health, which is also, their, their, excuse me, their spiritual growth, which is also interesting because 99.9% .9 of our prayers are for people to get well. There's hardly a prayer in Scripture about people getting well. There may be one. And it's not that we shouldn't pray for people's health. We should. We, our staff prays, our elders pray. We pray for every prayer request that comes in about somebody having this or that, we pray for you. But if you go to Paul's letters... He says, pray that they might have spiritual understanding. Pray that they might have a greater knowledge of God. Pray that their minds and hearts might be illuminated and understand the deep things of God. Those were the prayers. Those are generally the, the prayers in Scripture. Not that we shouldn't pray in other areas. They certainly are important, but these are the real issues that are at hand here. And he was a prayer warrior. Let me tell you something else that happens in prayer. You've heard me mention uh, this couple, uh, they were missionaries for many, many, many years, total of about 60 years in several different places, the Congo and in France and in England and the Millicans. And they used to come here uh, and visit because their, their children lived here. At any rate, uh, they, were, they were from Britain and they had that accent. And Mrs. Millican, Ivy, uh, well up in her 80s, developed very severe dementia, but did not have Alzheimer's. It's kind of hard to know the difference, but she was perfectly fine, uh, but she couldn't remember anything from just literally two or three seconds. And I still remember the story where I had to take her, my wife and I were taking her to a Bible study, a shepherd group, and she was in the back seat with my daughter Kelly. And here was the conversation. Well, who is this? Who is this lovely lady? Oh, I'm Kelly. Oh, 
I'm lovely. Who's this lovely lady? I'm Kelly. Lovely. All the way. Over and over and over and over and over again. When she got to the Bible study, we went into prayer. All of that went out. She went into a world of prayer, times, places, people, events, countries, nationalities, everything, missionaries, boom, 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 boom. And I thought, what is this? The brain is an organ that gets damaged. The spirit doesn't get damaged. And I thought to myself, I wonder what an agnostic or an atheist would say to that if they saw that. I was blown away. I, I, I thought, what? And the minute she came out of prayer, oh, who's this lovely lady over here? Oh, Kelly, yes. Right back to it. She left that world and her physical brain started taking over in its natural way. I've never gotten over it. I'm so glad that God gave me that privilege to observe and to watch and to see something that I had never seen before. And I think it's probably because she, they prayed every morning for a couple of hours, I think. They just prayed and prayed and prayed. And I think a lot of their prayers have been a reason why Reston Bible Church uh, has done what it's done through the years. And when they both passed away, I got real nervous, I can tell you. Man, I, I needed their prayers. Then he finishes up here, take a look, verse 14, he says this. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor... Probably the only, I think it's the only place where he's called the doctor. This is the man that wrote the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. And Demas sends greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea, to Nympha, the church in her house. So here's Luke and here's Demas, all right? Uh, Luke went on to become a, an incredible historian. We learned about Mark. Mark looked like he sort of forsook things and then came back according to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Here it talks about Demas kind of on the team and in 2 Timothy chapter 4 Paul pens these words. Demas has forsaken me having loved this present world. Ah, he forgot the kingdom. He forgot kingdom living having loved this present world. I think that's so interesting because I see kingdom in here and this a few verses later, here we have Demas, having loved this present world. And then it talks about uh, Nympha and it says the church in her home. Um, they battle over whether it's a male or a female, but it looks like it's a, a female woman that has this house. And this is what's interesting because... This is like shepherd groups. Keep in mind, there were no church buildings until the third century. People didn't meet in huge crowds like this. They didn't have cops out front and, you know, directing chariots and everything else back and forth. You know, people met in homes. And there's a lot to be said for that, like we have our shepherd groups. Very much to be said for that, because as Andy Stanley says, a big pastor in, <coughs> in Atlanta, uh, Andy says, circles are always better than rows. Rose is when you hear the preaching of the word. But circles is when you talk about it. When life really makes up its mind. When you really get down to the nitty gritty of life. When you're talking to people and 
engaging in prayer and prayer requests and things that are going on in your life and you get very, very real. And then we read this, verses 16 through 18. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. We don't have that letter, not an inspired letter. Tell Archippus, Archippus, see to it that you complete the work that you have received of the Lord. Either, I don't know if this is a rebuke, he wasn't finishing, or just tell him to complete it. We don't know. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Never actually says, pray that I can get out. Just remember my chains. Remember my chains. When I look at this list here, and I look at these people, I think, wow. And I look at the words comfort. And I look at the words encourage. And something struck me. I went up into my office, and I used to write a thing called By Way of Remembrance about 40 years ago. We put it in the bulletin. And this one was why we need to encourage and be encouraged. I'll just read a couple of things to you. Because through much tribulation, we will enter into the kingdom of God. We live in a very dark and divided time right now. We all need to be stroked by the warm hand of encouragement. Who can you think of that might just need some right now? The beauty today is we can text people all over and just say, thinking of you today. By the way, here's a verse, just those, those kinds of things. Because we receive far more criticism than praise. Our emotional ledger sheet tells the truth. It sure would be nice to get it to balance before the final account. You can make that happen. Then I have written next to it, send a letter. I'm thinking, we don't do that anymore, Mike. That was a long, long time ago. Because encouragement develops friendships, we naturally seek out those who refresh us with words of comfort than those who destroy us with words of criticism. Because it, it brings health to the recipient, Pleasant words are as a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and health to the bones. Because it, we are hurt far more deeply than we will admit. Most people carry burdens, the weight of which cannot be estimated by an outsider. Learn to encourage when you sense the need. And there's more, but at any rate, that goes back and just jumped into my mind because of the, time, the words encouragement and, and, and the comfort are mentioned here. And so when we look at this, we sort of wrap this up, and particularly for those of you that might be watching uh, online, if you're, if you're not a believer, you're not a believer. Um, I, can't, I, can't, um, I can't be a salesperson. I can't convince you. But I would like you to give this some thought. How is it that Paul can be writing from a prison and be joyful? Unless there's a kingdom that he's living in, that's unlike anything that the rest of this world is living in and why there's so much trouble and division in this world and why the world is not improving any. You've got to answer that question before you die. You just have to. All the computers, all the stuff, things just aren't getting any better, which is a clear statement that there must be a kingdom in which a person can live and have hope, even in the midst of difficulty. That's a question you have to answer. And I think Paul really answers that question. How do we live in a world where we learn to love people that we wouldn't naturally love? Where we learn to humble ourselves in order to be exalted, give, to, to get all the different things that are reverse of our natural way of doing it. And so this is what the Bible is really all about from beginning to end. 
It talks about a great kingdom at the very beginning, and it ends with a great kingdom. And in between, there's a mixture of a kingdom of darkness and a kingdom of light. And you leave the kingdom of darkness and enter the kingdom of light when you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the king. He is the eternal king. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And every name bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's better to do it now than when it's too late. So I would encourage you, if you've never trusted Christ, that today would be the day of salvation, that you would call upon the Lord Jesus Christ to give you everlasting life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the privilege we've had today to be under your word and the privilege we have to feel the presence and the power of your word. And I would pray that no one online or here would leave without calling upon the Lord Jesus Christ to save them, to give them everlasting life. Lord, that we would raise the bar, that you, by the power of your gospel, would raise the bar in our lives, that we would be true bondservants of Jesus. We would carry this message forward. And now, Father, I pray that you would dismiss us with your grace with this final number, that we would be an encouragement to all those that are around us, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.